Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Welcome back to Peace, Love, and Baseball, friends and fans. I'm your host, K-Bird Tweets, and welcome to the simulation where the Oakland A's don't relocate to Vegas, Shohei Otani is an Anaheim Angel in 2024, and the St. Louis Cardinals starting pitchers are all older than me and Taylor Swift. Yes, I have returned from the simulation slash government conspiracy that is also known as the state of Ohio. And we have plenty to catch up on, including two of the biggest offseason storylines in Major League Baseball, the Oakland A's relocation, Shohei Otani's free agency. And you know we're going to touch on the St. Louis Cardinals starting pitching signings and how their offseason is shaping up. First of all, I hope you all had a wonderful, amazing lovely, delicious Thanksgiving. I had a great trip to Ohio. It seems pretty real to me. That, so they're doing a great job. Keep it up. I do want to give a shout out too to Kim Bird, my mother, who has contributed to our cozy festive studio here. We have a new peace, love, and baseball ornament. I'm not sure if you can tell, depending on, I mean, if you're watching, if you're listening, uh, you cannot tell, but let me just create the visual for you here. I've got a white little Christmas tree, cozy little studio, and a sweet little baseball ornament that reads peace, love, and baseball. Now, much like the Cardinals, it is hard to tell if I have just begun decorating the tree or if I'm already done, but I think we both definitely still minimally need a star at the top. Am I right? Okay, first, before we get too deep into anything, thank you for joining me. Whether you are watching on YouTube, on the Kbird Tweets YouTube channel, or you are listening on your favorite po podcast platform, we are live on YouTube, Twitter, and our Facebook page via video on Monday nights. And then you can listen on your favorite podcast platform where there is always a new episode first thing on Tuesdays. So wherever you are watching, listening, tuning in, hit subscribe, leave a comment. You can join the live chat, which is open right now, or leave a comment, share your thoughts, tell me what you'd like to hear about. And subscribe on Spotify or Amazon Music or Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, all that good stuff. I super appreciate it and appreciate your time, your engagements, and just the good vibes that we're creating here around our favorite sport and other things that are fun to talk about and just engage with each other on. So make sure you're following on the socials as well. Kbird tweets on Twitter. I always like can't do this. <laughs> Kbird tweets. Here I am. I'm trying to point to my name on the screen. One of these days I'm really going to master it. When I used to teach fitness, a lot of the places uh, didn't have mirrors and I'd have to mirror everyone. So I got really good at that. So I will figure this out. I promise. But at Kbird tweets on Twitter. If you're not on the Twitter, sometimes it's hard to keep up with all the breaking news uh, in sports, especially during the baseball offseason. But you can keep up with us on Instagram at peace.love.baseball or on our Facebook page, Peace, Love, and Baseball. 
So let's get into a little bit of it all to kick things off here. Peace, love, and baseball with this week's report. If you're joining us for the first time, the report is a weekly, semi-weekly, sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't, but it's a pretty regular segment at this point where I share what I'm reading, R, eating, P, eating, E, we're live, reading, R, E, eating, P, playing, O, obsessing over, another R, recommending, and T, a treat that I'm either treating myself to or recommending you treat yourself to. Just kind of a good point for a lot of different conversations here. So what am I reading this week? This week, I am reading, as as I always am, articles from The Great Athletic. It is a subscription-based sports journalism platform that is actually now owned by The New York Times, but they have some of the best writers in the business in all sports. And it is a very trustworthy source, really good investigative reporting into all different angles of sports, which is something that I really love about it as well. So that's what I am reading a little bit more than usual, especially with all of the happenings around the off season and more signings starting to happen and all that good stuff. And I personally want to recommend to you Katie Wu, who is our athletic writer covering the St. Louis Cardinals. Because this time of year, especially when there's all these rumors and reports coming out, it's even more important to make sure that you're locked in with the trusted sources. So I hate to see all of these trade rumors and things being thrown out there. Like, I know to some extent it's fun to speculate, but at some point it's like, okay, but who am I taking seriously? And like, how legitimate is any of this? Katie Wu and The Athletic, they got you covered. Legit as well as all the writers covering teams and beyond at at The Athletic. While you're checking your sources for the latest news in baseball and beyond, by the way, you should always check those legitimate news sources. Derek Gould is another trusted source for the St. Louis Cardinals fan base of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And my other fave is Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat covering the Cardinals as well. For national news, I'm going to refer you to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. He also works on Foul Territory and probably another outlet, but he is primarily with The Athletic and he's on Foul Territory all the time. And then Jeff Passan is, of course, our ESPN for national news. Today, Monday, if you happen to be listening live, is actually the last day that you can sign up for that Black Friday, Cyber Monday deal with The Athletic. This is actually how I started my athletic subscription. I want to say like two years ago. They run this every year where you can try it for a dollar a month. So it's $12 for the whole year for your subscription, which I think is what the cost of it actually is per month once it like kicks up to full price. But obviously you can cancel it if after the full year it hasn't built the value for you to want to continue to pay a little bit more for it. But for me, it certainly has. And I think it's a great low barrier of entry way to take advantage of all that they have to offer and really build the value for yourself in the way that uh, you can see all that they have to offer for a year before you pay full price for it. So pretty cool. I will not link that in the show notes because if you're listening on Tuesday, I'm sorry, you missed it, but you should still check out The Athletic and who knows, maybe they'll run it again before Christmas time. That'd be cool. Let's talk about what we're eating this week. Obviously, we ate a lot last week, so you might be detoxing. But here's what I want to talk about in terms of eating this week. 
balanced macronutrients. Now, don't hit pause. Don't groan at me and turn it off. I'm not going to talk about it for very long. I have talked about this on previous episodes, so I will link that in the show notes, the episode where I actually talk about what macronutrients are and a basic guide on how to balance them. I do have a nutrition certification, so I, I do know what I'm talking about to some extent. This is, I would say, in my scope of practice with that. So balanced macronutrients are go beyond just the three basics, but what I'm going to talk to you about today and what I talk about in the episode is the three basics of carbs, fats, and proteins. But what I've been observing lately, especially as I had many meals with different groups of people over the last week or so, is that it's really easy to forget the protein. I don't know if this is as common of a thing as it appeared to be to me, and I know it's something I have to think about, so perhaps it is, and that's why I'm going to mention it to you tonight. A lot of times we have like pasta with like sauce and cheese on it or something. And then you're hungry two hours later or or you, even worse, you feel like you have to take a nap because you didn't actually get a well-balanced meal. It didn't have any protein in it, which is a huge part of your energy source and the way that your body processes the carbs in that meal is going to be completely different without some protein. So I don't know. I just like I was having pizza and chips the other day. And I was like, what? Cheese pizza and chips. Carbs on carbs on some fat with my carbs. And I don't know. So I'm sure it's really easy to do with kids too. Like you could be like, they're eating so much. Why are they hungry again? Well, what are they eating? So I would say it could, it could be a really basic change, but just taking a step back and being like, if you are hungry all the time, or you feel sluggish every time after you eat a meal, just make sure you got some protein in there, you know? That's that's what I'm eating and prioritizing in my meals this week. What is on the playlist this week? I'm going to recommend a podcast for you, and that podcast is a more Cardinals-specific podcast. So we do talk about ye old St. Louis Cardinals here quite a bit because <laughs> I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan, as you might be able to tell. But it's not all St. Louis Cardinals all the time, right? These guys, I have been a guest on their show a couple of times. And first of all, they're just lovely people, but they do a really good job with their weekly podcast all about the St. Louis Cardinals covering some good stuff in baseball and beyond as well. And it is called Talking About Birds. So I want to give a shout out and a recommendation for you to start playing Ben and Nate's podcast, Talking About Birds. One of the things that they do that I personally like to consume it for is they are good at breaking down the statistics and like kind of presenting the math part of baseball that I find really interesting. And sometimes I do that. Sometimes we'll talk about statistics and we'll compare numbers and metrics and all that good stuff. Um, analytics is super fascinating, and obviously a super relevant part of the sport and always will be. But I don't necessarily think I'm like the best at breaking that down and communicating it to you. So I like to consume it from other people and I feel like they do it in a way that's very digestible and entertaining. So I refer you to check out the Cardinals podcast talking about birds, put it on the playlist. Peace, love and baseball is brought to you by validity. Are you a fan of indie pop rock with a touch of Ben Folds, Mika, and Jukebox the Ghost? 
then you've got to check out Validity. Validity is the musical project by the talented vocalist and instrumentalist Wesley McKinney. His latest album, Indivisible, is now streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you listen. And it's a must-listen for anyone who loves upbeat melodies and catchy lyrics. What makes Validity truly special is McKinney's ability to seamlessly blend his passions for music, his love of baseball, creativity, fitness. He is not just a musician, but a well-rounded artist who knows how to stay active and inspired. His music is going to make you feel just the same. So whether you're cleaning the house, going to the gym, or just a creative mind and a lover of great music, looking for some tunes while you work or while you're driving, Validity has something for you. Tune into his music and let Wesley McKinney take you on a journey of self-discovery and fun. Stream Indivisible today. My obsession this week is probably a similar obsession for many baseball fans, and that is that I am still stuck on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And I'm feeling a little sadder about it than I did when I first woke up this morning for obvious reasons as a St. Louis Cardinals fan, but man, I, I can't, I'm, I'm obsessed. I can't get off of this need for Yamamoto. And I guess at this point, like, I don't even care. I do care. I do care if he's on my team, I want him on my team, but I'm going to be a fan of his. I just can't wait to watch him play in Major League Baseball. The more that I learn about him, the more that I've watched him pitch in the Japanese League and the success that he's had, especially over the last few years, I'm just really excited to see how he translates into the Major Leagues. I don't want to say all hope is lost for the Cardinals fan base, but that's probably just because I want to still live with my delusions and hopes until February or until <laughs> I think he has to sign by January 4th or something like that. So don't worry. I won't have to live in La La Land for too long, but yeah, man, I'm still stuck on Yamamoto. Mm. All right. What am I recommending this week? I am recommending a type of yoga. So not just yoga, but a specific type of yoga. And if you're like, again, yoga, not my thing. Kelsey, move along. Give me more baseball. Just give me, give me a second. This is a specific type of yoga. And it's why I think yoga is maybe not more popular because this isn't the type of yoga that is like mainstream in the United States. So I have worked in fitness. I am a personal trainer. I'm certified in all these different kinds of specific group fitness forms of high intensity interval training, uh, bar, which is very similar to Pilates, a number of different things over the years that I won't bore you with, but I've never been certified in yoga. I've never done a, a teacher training. And a big part of the reason for that is that I, I went to all these kind of franchise places that are very culturally appropriated. We've had that conversation here before a little bit about what that means, but I felt like they weren't very rooted in where yoga really came from and what it really was. And, and there was always kind of that disconnect. Like it made me feel good. And I utilized it, especially in recovery from other forms of exercise and, and for the focus on breath and stuff like that. But it didn't necessarily connect for me in the sense that I felt like it was something I wanted to 
learn more about because it wasn't really rooted in, in the foundation of yoga. But I have found a place recently that very much is that way and is honoring the initial practice of where it all came from and how it all started and the real meaning and cultural connections behind it. And so that's a cool part of it. But this specific type of yoga, it's called Hatha yoga, is something I've been taking yoga for like 10 years. I had never heard of Hatha yoga. And if you have, then you're ahead of the curve because I don't know. I live in the Chicago, Illinois area. I have lived in New York City and Chicago my entire adult life. So I would think in these like urban markets where we have everything very readily available, like you might not have a yoga studio down the street from you, depending on where you live, but we have one dozens, you know, in every neighborhood that I hadn't heard of this type of yoga. And here's why I think I had not heard of it because it is kind of pitched as a more basic form of yoga. And it's not necessarily looked at as a workout, but here's the thing. It's actually like a really good workout. And I don't know if you've listened to me talk about fitness in general before one of my biggest beefs with it. And the reason that I didn't stay super connected in the industry after a while, especially as I'm getting older is because it's just not about like mainstream fitness and the fitness industry in our country is not about what it's really supposed to be about. And fitness is like this word that people cringe and are like, Ooh, no, don't talk to me about it. Or like, there's like so, so much shame attached to it. And it just shouldn't be that way. It's about feeling good and being mobile and being able to do things in life so that you can enjoy your life and you live your life to the fullest. And that's really what Hatha yoga is about. So I looked up a, a very basic brief description of how it is described in its original culture. And the Sanskrit, Sanskrit is a Indo-European language that the yoga practice is founded in. The Sanskrit word Hatha can be translated in English in two different ways as either willful or forceful as the active path of yoga. It is the yoga of balance. So taken together, Hatha yoga can be described as a set of willful and active practices that aim to achieve harmony and balance in the mind, body, and spirit. This approach to yoga is often called the forceful path and includes the practice of physical postures and breathing techniques. I'm not sure I really get the forceful path thing, but that's interesting. Anyway, Hatha yoga is the generic type of yoga class that is taught in the Western culture, which again, this is, this is it. Cause I don't know about you, but I've heard of vinyasa yoga. That to me is like the generic type that I see on yoga schedules or like yoga flow. You know, I see, you know, like uh, yoga lattes or stuff like that more than I've ever seen Hatha yoga. Anyway, but most of the popular types of yoga taught in yoga studios are derived from this style. And I guess I do see that, but again, they've like made it more of a workout, whatever that means to the general public than what Hatha yoga actually is like foundationally. Hatha yoga is often used to describe a more gentle or beginner friendly style of yoga. Now I would agree with that for the reason that you can do it at any level. 
It is not intimidating. And that's one of the things that I like about it. I mean, any kind of fitness or movement in general is intimidating because we all have different strengths. We're all at different places. Our bodies and our minds are in different places every minute of every day. So it is really like a check your ego at the door sort of thing to show up in any capacity, whether you're by yourself or in a room full of people to do something that is really just taking the time to focus on you and your body and your mind and your breath and how you move. That is a thing. Like give yourself some grace. If you feel self-conscious about it, we all do. And we all always will, but we feel a lot better about it and receive incredible benefits that are more than I could ever really even articulate if you work through that with yourself. And I think Hatha Yoga is a really good place to start, which is why it is my recommending on the report this week. I would describe it as the focus on very basic postures. So I guess the biggest difference between like other yoga classes that I've taken in the past and this type of yoga is I feel like other yoga classes are more like choreographed. Like each movement kind of has to go fluidly to the next one. And that's part of what makes it intimidating and a little bit more difficult to pick up because it's not necessarily super organic for our bodies to move that way. And I mean, when I first started taking yoga, I was working at this beautiful full service spa and fitness studio, but I was literally taking yoga next to like professional dancers. And I am, uh, I was a gymnast growing up. I'm very flexible. So I had the ability to like mimic what they were doing and I guess like push myself to that level, but it wasn't serving me. And because I was flexible before I was strong, it actually created a lot of issues for me, like soft tissue issues and things that I'm still working through. So in that way, yoga, the way that it is practiced in our American culture did not serve me. And that's where I always come back to just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Hatha yoga really helps me to practice that mentality of just because you can doesn't mean you should, or there is enough challenge in the foundation, in the basic movements that that's where we're going to look for the challenge. That's where we're going to take it to the next level. You don't need to go deeper to get more. More is not always better. And yeah, it it's, starts out in a way that makes it attainable for any level. And the thing that I love about it that maybe other people would have trouble getting behind is that as you get stronger, it doesn't get easier. You actually can make it more difficult because you are more in tune with your body and can get more out of the same simple postures. So it just really allows you to tap in deeper to your awareness, to the way that your breath is connected to your movement and the way that you're, you can really use your mind to manage your movement and really manage everything that's going on in your body and your mind. So yeah, that's why I like it. That's how I would describe it is as just more basic postures. And because the postures are more basic and repetitive, you also feel like you do make some progress every time because you get more familiar with those. Like sometimes you go to yoga class and you're like, all right, I'll try it. I'm, I'm going to try the second class. It was hard the first time, but surely I'll try a second class and I'll be better at it this time. But you might not see any of the same movements or postures that you saw the last time in many of these yoga classes that I had been taking previously, Hatha yoga, you're going to see a lot of the same things. 
but they're sequenced a little bit differently. They are coached a little bit differently in the things that you're thinking about and what the focus is on so that you can still really stay present and you don't get bored. And I realized that I said I wasn't going to talk about this for very long, but I did because I think it's important and cool and something that y'all should try. So recommending Hatha Yoga. Check it. Let's finish up the report with a little treat, a little treat for you this week. So we had a lot of treats last week, right? Thanksgiving. Hope you had some pie. Hope you had some cake. I had cake. I had pie. I had cheesecake. I'm sure I had other treat, like, like, you know, traditional sweet treat type things as well. So many treats. Great. Amazing. Definitely enjoyed it. But this week I'm really enjoying my hot tea in my, in my boss bitch mug. I have found this brand of tea. This has nothing to do with yoga actually, but it is called Yogi Tea is the brands. You can find it at Target. You can find it at your local grocery store, but they have a ton of different flavors. They have cute little messages. Oh, I took the bag out of this one already, but they have cute little messages on the tag. So love that about it too. But mostly I love the flavors. You don't have to put any sugar or honey or anything in it because each one is very flavorful in its own way. And it also has, you know, like a specific benefit to it. At least a lot of them do, which is just kind of nice because, you know, you can match your tea to your mood. Uh, some of my favorites include the honey lavender, which is like a stress relief tea, the sweet tangerine, which I think is more like a energy, like get your day going one, uh, the honey chai turmeric vitality tea. It is a decaf chai y'all. And it's really good. And it has turmeric in it, which is a great anti-inflammatory good for your mind, lots of stuff. And maybe my favorite one, the one that I have in here right now is elderberry lemon balm, which is for immunity and stress. So keeping me healthy, as I saw all my little children's this past week, hopefully knock on wood. I'm not actually going to knock on wood because don't want you to have to deal with that in your ears. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to recommend you give yourself a little treat with this week is some hot tea. It's cold in a lot of the areas of the United States. And it's something that just like helps me wind down or, you know, it's a good pick me up in the middle of the afternoon, little treat. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right. Well, that about wraps up our weekly report and we are ready to dive headfirst into the simulation. So two of the biggest storylines in the offseason of baseball are what we're going to talk about today with the A's relocating, or are they, to Vegas and Shohei Otani's free agency. So the reason that I kind of wanted to dive into these topics a little bit deeper that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet, even though I'm sure you've heard about them, if you are a baseball fan and you follow baseball, is that I have a little bit of a different take than I think most people do on both of these topics. One of them is more factual than the other, and we're going to start with that one. The Oakland A's are not so officially relocating to Vegas. And, and here's why. So you have probably heard and seen headlines all over the place that the Major League Baseball owners, all of them gathered to vote, and they voted unanimously to approve the Oakland A's relocation to Vegas. Great. It's official. The A's are moving to Vegas. Except it's not. Because it's just another step in the process it's by no means the final step to make it official. 
it doesn't make anything official. There are multiple agreements that are hundreds of pages long. They're not just something that like Major League Baseball is going to thumb through and be like, yeah, just checking the boxes, dot in the I's, cross the T. No, no, no. It's not that kind of a thing. Hundreds of pages of long of documents that need to be approved by Major League Baseball, first and foremost, before any next steps can take place. So just because the owners approved it doesn't mean that John Fisher, the owner of the Oakland A's, can go stick his flag in a plot of land in Vegas and say, we're playing here. There are a lot of things that need to happen on the administrative side and the funding side before any of that becomes a reality. Another big point of contention here that I think is very much worth mentioning, and I would love to learn more about this, is that Nevada teachers are doing all they can to stop the A's from receiving public funding approved by the state legislature this summer to help build their new ballpark in Las Vegas. So again, while it was approved, we, there's a lot of things in government that get approved, right? And then they, they get nixed before your student loans can actually be forgiven, right? So... <laughs> You know, those things happen. And this is just another example of that. But there is a Schools Over Stadiums initiative that is attempting to put the $380 million in public funding for the A Stadium in Vegas. They're going to put it on the ballot in November of 2024, hoping that Nevada residents will redirect the money away from the potential stadium. So that's a whole year from now that that will very likely be voted on. Yeah. So while the A's current lease agreement at the Oakland Coliseum, where they have been playing, is, is up at the end of the 2024 season, you've probably heard that, it can be renewed. It doesn't mean like just because they haven't renewed it yet, they're definitely out at the end of this season. There is seemingly no way that a deal is actually official to get anything actually put into action to move the A's to Vegas prior to the 2024 off season. Like it's not in 2025. They're just like, they're not going to play in Vegas unless they utilize their minor league stadium, which doesn't even have remotely the capacity of a major league stadium. And I would assume could create a slew of other problems. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of different things that could happen, but one, it's not officially happening. And two, if it is, it's going to be a while because there's still a bunch of stuff that needs to happen. And that's like, that's just very literal. <laughs> so I guess I like to take things for what they are and straight up, it ain't official yet. So that's all I'm saying. Personally, from all of that I have consumed of this over the past year or so, and that's a lot to, to put on you. So I'm not going to go any deeper into all of that, but I've been consuming a lot of content surrounding this, keeping up with all of the latest. And personally, I predict that the Oakland A's will be playing in the Oakland Coliseum in 2025 and beyond. Personally, I think John Fisher needs to sell the team and allow a more competent and passionate owner to regroup with Oakland and this team. So that is what I hope happens. And it is, what I think is going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a simulation. Welcome. We're going to, we're going to stay in the simulation here because the other thing that I think is that Shohei Otani could be a Los Angeles angel of Anaheim, La a Anaheim angel of Los Angeles. I think Shohei Otani could be an angel in 2024. Boom. Mic drop. Yeah.
it's not like the angels don't already have a significant payroll commitment in 2024. So hear me out here. They are never ones to shy away from a big contract. So it's not like, you know, we're looking for him to sign with the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, like obviously a team like that is not looking to retain Shohei Otani and they would not have held on to him until this point. That's not the Anaheim Angels. If there's anything that Artie Moreno knows how to do, it's he can throw some serious dough around, not always in the smartest way possible, but he's pointed out there. Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Albert Pujols. Yeah. So there will at least be an attempt to make a very legitimately competitive offer. They're not going to skimp on what they know he's going to be getting offered by probably a dozen other teams. So it won't be about the money if Otani decides to go elsewhere. What it's going to be about is his desire to be on a team that is more of a guaranteed competitor, especially with what he has experienced with the Angels in his tenure there. But get back in the simulation with me. The Angels recently hired Ron Washington as their manager. Big upgrade. I mean, I shouldn't say big upgrade, but culturally, yeah, maybe. I mean, he's a guy who could do it, who could really make some changes here. They have a competent, experienced coaching staff that they built with him, and they appeared to actually maybe be laying the groundwork to make it a more attractive spot for players who are serious and, and prioritizing being competitive. Also, I just want you to imagine for a moment, like here's the thing that's important to remember. The owners have bigger egos than any of us, okay? Like any of us as fans, if something hurts us, if we're like embarrassed by our team, it hurts them a lot more. So not just for the fan base, but for the leaders of that organization, imagine the sting of having Shohei Otani play for a rival team within the division, like the Mariners, or more likely the Rangers, right? We've heard a lot of talk about that lately. Or maybe even worse, the other team down the road, the Dodgers. Those are the most likely suitors in terms of big money competitive offers and and teams that are going to be competitors right here, right now. So that alone puts additional pressure on the Angels to go to the lengths that other teams might not feel the need to, to, to keep this guy or to get this guy. His value is is unbeatable on every level for the Angels, not just in terms of being a competitive team, if they're looking to make that happen sooner rather than later, but in having an organization that fans stay invested in after a decade of frustration and incompetence otherwise. He is really that piece. I mean, yes, they have Mike Trout, but Mike Trout without Otani is even more frustrating in some ways, or is even more hopeless, really. It would be a major bummer. And and I also don't think Mike Trout is going to be traded. I guess that's my other simulation opinion here. But yes, it is obvious enough why the Angels should be doing everything they possibly can do to retain Shohei Otani. Maybe I've got you on the same page with me there, but you're still like, no, it's not going to happen, Kelsey. But here's what I think is in it for Shohei. So there's a lot to be said for the amount of success that Shohei Otani has already had as an angel. I mean, he's never played for another team. And even though we know that he is anticipating having a little bit of a different season next year as he's going to return as a hitter and he won't be cleared medically to pitch until the 2025 season, 
that's even more reason why it makes sense for him to stay where he is because we often see players have a hard time adjusting in their first year and sometimes overall when they move to another team. There's a lot of adjustments to be made. He already has a huge adjustment being made with his medical status and situation there. So it's important to remember that the Angels took a chance on him and they really invested in his potential as a two-way player in a way that many organizations at that point years ago in his career were not willing to do, including the Dodgers. You think he doesn't remember that? You think his team doesn't remember that? I don't know. I think they remember that. So they stuck with him and they also invested in his recovery through his first Tommy John surgery when he had thrown less than 60 innings at the big league level coming into the 2021 season. So they've always had a lot of faith in him. And we hear a lot of talk about the way that players are managed and utilized and how that allows for their ultimate potential. And while the Angels have mismanaged a lot of things over the past six years, Shohei Otani has not been one of them. The way that the Angels have handled Otani is a big part of what has allowed for his beautiful unicorn painted high ceiling. There is something to be said for that, and I can only assume that that is something to something to be highly considered by Shohei Otani and his camp, especially considering, like I said, that he's going to be coming off another major major medical procedure and another transition in his career. So I don't know. I mean, I think that makes home base look like more of an attractive option than it did otherwise, both with or without the injury. The established relationship and comfort with the city, the organization, and his teammates is huge. It cannot be understated. And let's face it, Shohei Otani is not exactly a social butterfly, and understandably so. The language barrier is a thing, but it's really just his personality, right? It is who he is. He is great for baseball. He is clearly up for doing his part to market the game internationally and to embrace his superstardom to the extent that I think is is really cool. He's doing a great job with it, but he is relatively quiet and conservative with the media, which seems very authentic to his personality and it suits him very well with a small market team like the angels, but in other markets, the expectation from the media could be very different. Imagine his day to day with the Yankees or the Dodgers. Like that's a, it's a totally different kind of pressure from a media perspective. And I doubt he is looking to change or make that kind of change. Obviously, being on the West Coast seems geographically ideal, considering that he calls Japan home as well. So just another box at the Angels check there. So here's my simulation prediction. I'm just going to I'm going to say it. I predict that Shohei Otani will be an angel in 2024. And I don't care if I'm wrong or right at this point. Like, here's why I don't like predictions, because there's so much going on that we're not privy to that. Like, obviously we just don't have all the information and I don't like to make decisions or predictions without all the information. But from what I, again, from what I have consumed and really just this gut feeling that I have, I predict Shohei Otani has a deal with the angels. It'll include an opt out after year two and all kinds of incentives for year two and beyond. So I'm not saying he's going to be an angel for the rest of his career, but I would not be surprised if Shohei Otani 
is an angel in 2024. Wait for it. All right. I was about to say we're going to take a step back from the simulation, but we're really not. I kind of hope that we're living in this 1989 Cardinals version uh, of a simulation with the Cardinals offseason moves here. But okay, before we talk about the potential obvious problems and what we may not be super excited about as a, as a Cardinals fan base. I want to tell you a little bit about our guys, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and Sonny Gray, who as of Monday, November 27th, have all signed with the St. Louis Cardinals for 2024 starting pitchers. Here we go. So Mo said he was getting two and a half. He's got, I would say two full pitchers at this point, but I mean, there are three men and here's why I want to talk about them just as people on a human level before we get to all of the nitty gritty, because I've been having these feelings. I've been feeling really bad. I've been having feelings. I've been feeling guilty about my lack of excitement around the signings because they're very circumstantial, right? I have absolutely nothing against any of these guys as individuals. I have great respect and admiration and appreciation for their careers. They're major league baseball players, and they have done something that I think is more impressive than even some of the players who have like the best statistics or records. And that is that they have had longevity in major league baseball and consist a consistent level of success so many of us would kill for in any profession, let alone a profession like this. So I've been feeling guilty about not being excited about it and not celebrating it. And I mean, obviously Lance and Kyle and Sonny are listening and they're like bummed that I'm not just congratulating the St. Louis Cardinals for signing that and being super excited about it. No, but <laughs> I, hate to see my Twitter timeline just full of all this negativity around something that under different circumstances, you know, that's, that's how it goes. It's how the puzzle fits together. Ultimately is what makes us feel good about a team or not. So as individuals, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and Sonny Gray. Just a few fun facts. Lance Lynn has been with the Cardinals before. He was a member of that 2011 World Series team. So we are conjuring the nostalgia once again, bringing it back, running it back. But his first name is actually Michael. His So his full or real name is Michael Lance Lynn. I'm guessing it's a family name because his dad's name is also Mike. I've actually known like multiple people in my life who who their first name is Michael, but they go by a different first name. They go by their middle name. Cause like Michael is like the, the first name of every man in their family. So Lance Lynn's one of those dudes. I love Lance Lynn is definitely like cooler and more suiting for him than Michael Lynn. So I'm all about it. He was drafted by the Cardinals in 2009 from the university of Mississippi. He was initially drafted by the Mariners, I believe in 2005, but he, committed to go play college ball instead. And then he was drafted again by the Cardinals in 2009. I also want to tell you about his wife. Her name is Diamond and she seems super cool. She has a really fun website and a blog. I'm going to drop it in the show notes. It's www.diamondintherough.com. 
so clever, so creative. Love it. But diamond is not spelled like diamond. So check the show notes. Anyway, her site, it tells you all about how they met and fell in love. Cool blog post just about her and the family. There's so many cute pictures of their family too. So I've also heard that she throws him some fun shade on social media. So she could be a good follow there as well for you. Another great perk of having Lance Lynn on our team and just Lance Lynn in general is his personality. Like we know he's super fun with the media. He's fiery. He's going to get the team fired up. And he regularly appears on the daily YouTube baseball show called Foul Territory, which I've recommended to you on this podcast before. So I'm really excited that we're going to get lots of good Cardinals content and probably candid Cardinals content from Lance Lynn this season on Foul Territory. He hasn't been on yet since he signed, but I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Let's talk about Kyle Gibson a little bit. Kyle is the vice president of Adam Wainwright's charity, Big League Impact. He is very passionate and has been very involved in charity work throughout his entire big league career. And he's actually been nominated for the Roberto Clemente Award three different times. He has yet to win it. So how cool and fun would that be if he wins it as a St. Louis Cardinal, just like his buddy Adam Wainwright? This is maybe not a fun fact, but interesting and crazy. Kyle Gibson was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis after contracting E. coli during a mission trip that he took with his wife to Haiti and the Dominican Republic in January of 2019. That's so scary for anyone, especially, I mean, a professional athlete who is relying on his wellness to be able to do his job very heavily. So uh, ulcerative colitis is very basic description here. Not going to go too far into detail. You can Google it if you want to know more, but it is an inflammation in the lining of the colon, and it is ultimately managed by medication. So Gibson gave an interview years back when he was dealing with all of this, discussing having to try a number of different medications to find one that was ultimately effective in managing his diagnosis. He was actually offered the opportunity to opt out of playing in the 2020 shortened COVID season due to him being high risk for contracting severe illness. So there were a number of players, like if you're immunocompromised or you had a specific situation where, you know, you would have been higher risk as determined by the league, you could have still been paid, uh, but did not have to play. But he did decide to play through it. And instead he limited his non-baseball activity to try to keep himself uh, as safe as possible through all of that. And Worked out very well for him. I think he actually threw the second most innings of any pitcher in that shortened 2020 season. And that's another thing that if you've heard anything about him so far, that along with Lance Lynn, these are things we we do love about Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson is they got those innings in them. Okay. Gibson was actually communications major at Mizzou. So he's kind of a hometown guy in that sense for the Cardinals where he's actually also been inducted into the Mizzou Sports Hall of Fame. But he has an interest in sports broadcasting, communications major, y'all. And while he was with the Twins, he started a podcast called Meeting on the Mound with Kyle Gibson. I haven't looked this up yet, but I'm going to check it out. So uh, I'll let you know if it's any good or if I can find it, because maybe it's like not up anymore. Not really sure. But Cardinals PR, Cardinals, whoever makes those cute commercials, Get Kyle Gibson in on it. Let's go. He's just going to follow in Wayno's footsteps. 
all the way, isn't he? We can only hope that he has the comeback of a 37-year-old season that Adam Wainwright had, right? Mm. Okay, anyway, we're not talking about that yet. <laughs> Let's talk about Sonny Gray. Here's what we love about Sonny Gray. He was the runner-up for the 2023 AL Cy Young Award this past year for his season with the Twins. He had a 2.79 ERA and 32 starts. He had 130, I'm sorry, 183 strikeouts in 184 innings pitch. These are things we like to hear, Sonny Gray. He has had a handful of spectacular seasons with this level of performance. He's been around for a while, so they haven't all been that great, but his potential is there. And recently in the last couple of seasons, he's been super solid and absolutely a guy that anyone would kill to have in that two, three spot in their rotation. So there's not a lot out there in terms of fun facts or like non in-game related stuff about Sonny Gray. So Sonny, if you're listening, I would love to have you on to learn more about you, like your favorite color or, you know, what you're binging on Netflix these days. His press conference was what I think really got fans bought into him. Like we were already kind of anticipating this, obviously thought it was a good move that made sense for the Cardinals in some capacity, wherever you saw it fitting in, whether it was before the Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson stuff or, or after, but his press conference is it I'm sold. Okay. If, if I wasn't into him already, he seems like a super down to earth guy. He is obviously genuinely competitive. He prioritizes culture and supporting his teammates. That's what I took away from his press conference, which KMOX, the St. Louis local radio station broadcasted. I'll see if I can find that throw in the show notes for you. If you do not have a chance to listen in because he, he was just really endearing. And more than anything, what I loved most was how just candid and straight up he was in his press conference. I like people who tell it like it is. And Sonny Gray did just that. He actually said a couple of times, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or if I can share this or whatever, but then he just did. And I love that. We love to see it. We need more of that from players with the media. You don't have to be the most articulate or well thought out interviewee, but be open and be you. And that's, that's what Sonny did. To wrap things up tonight, I'm going to tell you what I like about the Cardinals offseason so far. Let's start with the positive and then we'll just kind of like vent it all out and, and get it out before we leave things here. So here's what I like about it. I do like that the Cardinals didn't wait around to risk being left in the dust of the what could have been's because we've seen that happen, right? It's It seemed like that is to some extent what happened last season, and it seems even more so from how they acted this offseason. So there's something to be said for that. In a position as dire for dramatic changes as the St. Louis Cardinals are – or were going into the 2024 season, they had to secure the C grade for the off season as soon as possible. Had to prioritize that. And then you hope that you can improve the grade from there. Right. But we had to secure that C got to get a passing grade for the off season. Meaning yes, we are in a better position as a starting rotation going into 2024 than what we ended 2023 with. So C grade is, I know, kind, depending on who you are or how you're evaluating it, but that's the way that I am legitimizing it. 
and, and really making sense of it is that they had to secure that. And I am not mad about that. And on some level, I think we can all take a deep breath and be glad that that has happened. And that has been secured because it could have been worse. It really could have been. So take a second. And let's appreciate the priority on improving the culture and, and having veteran leadership and presence that will hopefully reset expectations and the tone in the clubhouse. I think it's difficult to pinpoint what those problems really could have been for the 2023 team, but it is obvious that they were there on some level. And these signings, along with Daniel Descalzo as the bench coach, and hopefully eventually Yadier Molina in some capacity, they paint a clear picture of how that was, it has to be another focus of this offseason. Like it just is. It makes all the sense in the world. So this combination of players and coaches will help create the consistency and clarity in the roles. I hope that, you know, I have said that the Cardinals majorly lacked last, last season. So that's a plus. We like that. The message is clear that the players want to play in St. Louis, even after a season like this past one. And that is a really positive thing. Thumbs up. Jordan Walker style. So, I'm going to give it to you straight. Here's what I don't like. Numbers don't lie, right? Statistics and projections are clear when it comes to pitchers and, and players in general of a certain age. I want to read you something that I found because I started to do some research on to see if there were, you know, some readily available statistics on pitchers of a certain age. I know they're out there. I have read things about them in the past, but there wasn't a ton of like studies or, or things again, that were just like readily available at hard numbers wise. I'm sure they will start to come out as the national media starts to cover the Cardinals projected starting rotation, especially if it stays this way. But what I did find was in volume 40 issue two of the journal of biomechanics, there was a study done that you have you have to pay and like purchase the journal to read the whole thing but the basis of it is given here as public information there were 6 of 14 tested variables in joint range of motion which are demonstrated to degrade with age among both the general population and athletes alike so there is no exception for you just because you are an athlete these are things that are black and white in terms of how they degrade with age in us all. So joint range of motion things. These are stride length, upper trunk and pelvis orientation angles at lead foot contact. Very important for the pitching mechanics. Maximum shoulder external rotation angle during arm cocking phase and lead knee angle and trunk forward tilt angle at ball release. So I don't know if this, article. I don't think it is not specific to pitchers, but obviously to, to baseball. And these are all things that are very specific to pitching mechanics. So not only is it analytics is, is my point. The analytics are out there and you can find it. I'm sure as I dig deeper again, like it's going to come out and we're going to see it, but it's science. So yeah, I mean, I just, I like everything about it except for the science except for the facts. <sighs> Great. So yeah, the Cardinals still need a number one 
to be competitive. They need a star atop that tree, just like I do. In my in my humble opinion, but I think really in everyone's realistic opinion, to be competitive, to guarantee being competitive in 2024. So as a fan base, we have seen this risk of betting on an average at best rotation that they they could. They could fire on all cylinders and they could hang with the big boys over and over again. If we had another 2021 or 2022 season in 2023, the tone would be very different around these signings. But after the train wreck, that was 2023. Cardinals fans are demanding a high risk, big money move from the Cardinals. One that is more than, than three years of Sonny Gray, quite frankly, one that will knock our socks off and silence all the John Mosellock haters. So until then, even those of us who generally stand behind the team and their approach as a whole, and I am pointing to myself, if you are listening now watching, I am I am one of those. I generally stand behind the team. I am always looking at it from a business perspective as well as a fan. Like I very much appreciate it. I'm interested in that side of it. But I am still having, and I know y'all are still having a hard time being sold on a true turn of the tide in 2024 for the Cardinals where we stand currently. Are the Cardinals better today than they were yesterday or at the end of the 2023 season? Yes. Is it enough to flip the win-loss record on its head for 2024? Doubtful. But it could. And that's the Cardinal way. It could. Got that C grade, baby. So that's what I'll say. I mean... We could talk in circles about it. It will be highly speculated and highly talked about by the best and the worst sources. And we talked about some of the best ones at the top of this episode. So make sure that you're dialed in with them. And the thing is, it's November. It's literally not even December. The winter meetings have not even happened. And we've secured that C grade. So stay positive, folks. It's important to stay in a good headspace. We can only get so upset about this silly game of baseball that we all love. But I thank you for hanging out with me, whether it's a Monday evening or a Tuesday morning or wherever you are at in your week. Again, make sure you hit that subscribe button if you are watching or listening. Thank you for your support, your engagements, and for taking in a little peace, love, and baseball each and every week with me. I will see you next week.